Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. We have, oh my God, we have, a, I'm, I'm going to say this is a euphorically exciting talent, co-hosting the podcast with me today. You might know uh, her writing from programs such as The 100 or Luke Cage. Uh, you also might have gotten your whole life in theaters when you went to see Malignant at a late show in a dark and solo screening where it was practically felt like it was just for you, which was what my experience was. Or maybe you have been preparing since you saw that little robot dancing to doing TikTok dances to fan edits of songs like Alien Superstar. <laughs> Megan has arrived, which means Akela Cooper has arrived yet again. And Akela Cooper is on the podcast. What do the folks need to know about you, Akela? What else before we get started here? Oh, I think you've covered it. It's always it's always weird. It's like, what else to know about me? Uh, yeah, I have no idea. I'm terrible with these things. I'm terrible with these things. <laughs> well, I, I'm excited I, to be here. There. How about that? Okay, no, that's a great start. <laughs> and I I am so excited for you to be here. I think you are, I, I, I don't think you are. I know it to be true that you are one of the most exciting talents Aww. working, yes, in genre specifically today, but I think generally, I think there is a joyful lack of restraint and an embrace of bombast and an unselfconscious <laughs> joy and bigness that you bring to your screenwriting. Well, thank you. That is so much fun. And I am so glad you're here. I'm, I'm here in like in general in the landscape. I am so glad that we have you. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's always it's wonderful to hear that, and it's always I have to admit it's kind of strange because I've said this many times when people talk about like malignant and now Megan about like how mm -hmm. wild and out there it is. It's like I swear to God, I'm not sitting down at my computer going like how wild can I fucking make this? Mm -hmm. I just write. So I'm starting to think it's like, maybe, maybe it's just me. It's like that TikTok sound. It's like, is it me? Am I the drama? <laughs> yeah. Am is, I the drama? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, that, I think that that's, you know, I like the idea that you're not sitting there trying to think about how to one up yourself, that it's just a natural yeah. progression of things coming out of you. Let's make Megan run like a silverback gorilla on all <laughs> fours and pursue a child in the forest. That's not a spoiler because you can see it in the trailer. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess a, a start off question for me would be, are you having as much fun as it seems like you are having? I, I think so. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's really surreal right now because you work in this kind of cocoon, especially as like yeah. a movie writer, mm -hmm. like, I think we did this five years ago. Like, what what year of the pandemic are we in now? I think Allison said she got the script in, like, 2019. So, yeah, I started this, like, end of 2017, early 2018. Wow. wow. Uh, and yeah. Megan, Megan actually came first. Like, Megan came before Malignant. Megan was the first oh. thing that I wrote for Atomic Monster. Uh, and obviously they enjoyed my writing. And so they brought me on to Malignant and then None 2. Uh, and we're already talking about, you know, future projects together. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was like it was just in this in this bubble of working on this script and working with James and the executives at Atomic and Blumhouse and then getting the drafts in. And then they brought mm -hmm. on Gerard. And I was really excited about that. It's like, oh, we've got a director. So, yay, yeah. this is this might actually happen. And there were... Yeah, this feels more real? Yeah, it does when they bring on a director. But even then, you know, like, things can fall through. And through the development, it it, it was touch and go there for a while as to whether or not this was going to get made. At one point, mm -hmm. I believe it was Universal, did their Child's Play 
remake. And and right. we I remember when I got the call, it's like, hey, Universal is gonna like kind of hold off on Megan right now because you know, the Child's Play remake is coming out and lo and behold, it's also AI. Like they made that Chucky yeah. AI. And I was like, son of a bitch. Okay. <laughs> and it's like, all right, we've come, you know, we've we've come this far. Okay. And then it was like literally waiting for that to come out to see what happened. And it came out and Universal came back to us and we're like, if you guys still want to do Megan, we'd like to do Megan. And we were all like, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Like hell yeah, we yeah. want to do Megan. And then you know, we had one location that they were going to shoot in and then the pandemic happened mm-hmm. and and everything had to change. So, yeah, for a while, it's like, is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Is, and, right. and, and now here we are. And I am grateful that we are here. And it has <laughs> turned out like never in my wildest dreams would I have thought this would have happened. <laughs> like going through all the stuff that we went through, like, mm-hmm. but it is it is wonderful. It's a wonderful payoff, I have to say. Well, I will. I will let me uh, let the people know that uh, Megan, guys, if you didn't already know, is the story of a brilliant AI engineer played by Allison Williams, who has made a revolutionary toy that is not really a toy at all. It is a fully functioning, artificially intelligent, ever more um, advanced and growing and learning bot that becomes a companion to her niece, turned sort of adopted, you know, charge her, her ward. And over the course of being given the mandate to protect the little girl, Katie, played by Violet McGraw fantastically, um, to protect her from all harm, both physical and emotional, Megan starts taking that to the most logical but extreme end degree of her programming, and people and things start turning up dead. And that is where the fun ensues. Is that an accurate description, would you say? It is. It is incredibly accurate. (laughs) <laughs> like, I couldn't have done that, and I am I'm intimately familiar with this property. <laughs> um, and uh, I talked to you, actually, I think it was at the premiere, about, like, wanting to, you wanting to create an iconic monster. Yes. And the 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 meat of our conversation here will stem around, like, the connection to a character. And in you have, you've created now, I think, two iconic monsters, with Gabriel and Megan. Like they they and you know, with the the rumors of a of a union between <laughs> Atomic Monster and Blumhouse, we can now have these properties joined together in like a predator style hand handshake, hand clasp, uh, Gabriel and Megan. And you have brought an iconic hero to our conversation today in the feeling scene context, mm. which is Jada Pinkett's Geraldine from Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. Yeah. Did you see this when it came out in the 90s, or did you come to this later on down the line? I saw it when I when it came out in the 90s, and my mom is probably going to be listening to this and just like, oh, Lord, here she goes. Um, but <laughs> I, I love Tales from the Crypt. I was a fan of Tales from the Crypt, like watching it mm-hmm. way, way too young, but I still loved the show i didn't have hbo in my home home so like whenever mm-hmm. i would visit friends who had like i guess premium cable or whatever pay cable um and like sometimes when i visit my sister uh she had hbo so i would watch it with her uh but i was i was a fan and at some point like you could rent like the vhs episodes yeah uh so i would do that and when it was announced that like tales from the crypt is going to be doing a series of movies and this was mm-hmm. the first one. I was like, ooh, like, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. And, like, the more information yeah. that came out about it, the more I was excited about it. Uh, and I just became obsessed before I ever saw a frame of that film. Like, I I have, and one of my points of pride is, like, I've had a meeting with Ernest Dickerson. And I took, I have the Tales from the Crypt Presents Demonite collectible magazine 
<laughs> and I took it with me to our general meeting and I showed it to him and his wife, who's his producing partner. I was like, I have been mm-hmm. a fan of yours for decades. I love Tales from the Crypt, mm-hmm. Demon Knight. Here's proof. Uh, recently, my mom sent me my stuff from home, which I, I was a fan of like uh, uh, movie book adaptations, like the book version oh, okay. of the movie. I also had mm-hmm. like Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Knight, the book version. So the novelization. The novel, yeah, the novelization. And I read it and I read it and I read it. And I'm like, I'm going to love this movie. I am going to love <laughs> this movie. I love everything that's happening in this book. I love all the images I've seen. And like, there's a black woman in it. That's awesome. And so like it came to one theater, like 30 minutes south uh of where i live like in like i live in missouri the theater was in tennessee like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how rural the area i lived in like the closest <laughs> movie theater that was decent was 30 minutes mm-hmm. away and the one screen theater was 20 <laughs> minutes away so the theater in tennessee got demon night for a week for one week only uh-huh. and i begged my parents like let's just i'll pay for it i save my money i'm yeah. like I'll, I'll pay for everything <laughs> i'll buy your popcorn i'll buy your soda like i don't care <laughs> you have to drive because i think it came out in 1995 so i was like 13 14 so it okay. didn't have my driver's license at that point i'm like i need you <laughs> to give me yeah, the wheel i need you now i need you to drive me down there and they kept putting it off and they kept putting it off and and finally like my mom's favorite candy at the time was like starburst like that's what she loved to snack (laughs) on i bought like a giant bag of starburst Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. i spelled out please take me to demon (laughs) night on the bed on on their bed (laughs) so like when she came home from work and went upstairs to get out of her clothes she Mm -hmm. had a shit ton of starbursts that yeah. said, please take me to see Demon Knight. And, and that broke her. <laughs> that broke her. But That's when we wonderful. called, that was on a, a Thursday, I think. And when I called to get showtimes, they'd already turned over the movies for the next weekend. No. So it wasn't playing anymore. So <gasps> my mom got a bunch of Starburst for free. <laughs> yeah. And I was bummed. I was, I was like heartbroken. And I just kept rereading the novelization. And then, because yeah. this was also, this is also kids. Uh, Gen Zers back in the day when movies took six months between theater release yeah. and video. So you yeah. had to wait six months from uh-huh. the time it was no longer in theaters until home video release. Finally, it came out six months later on home video. <laughs> and I was saving my money. I think it was like 40 bucks or something at the time. So I buy a brand yeah. new, again, mid nineties DVD hadn't taken off yet. So VHS tapes yeah. were still very expensive to buy. <laughs> and I just remember my dad going, it's like, you, you should probably rent it first to make sure you like it. I'm like, you don't understand. I know I like yeah. it. I, I, know I know I like it. it. Like, I just need the video. And he's like, no, no, don't, don't just, you know, pumpkin, save your money. Yes. My father called me pumpkin <laughs> and he talked me out of buying it. And so okay. he rented it for me. And I think it was like, after it was, it was either a weekend or it was like summer when it finally came out on VHS. Cause like my parents left for the day and I was home alone and they left at like eight, 9 AM. And I was watching the movie. Cause we'd watched it the night before <laughs> and I loved it. And I told them I loved it. Okay. Like, and they watched it with me and they enjoyed it. Like they're fans okay, of good. Demon Knight. They thought it was funny and entertaining. And I'm like, see, you should have taken me to see this in theaters. So that like that Saturday probably they go off to like run errands and they're going to be gone pretty much all day. So again, they leave eight, nine AM. 
I put Demonite on, say goodbye to them. They come home like five or six. I'm still watching the movie because all I did <laughs> was wow. watch it, rewind uh-huh. it, and watch uh-huh. it again. <laughs> so day. it lived up. Like when you saw it, it lived up to this novelization that you had internalized so much already. Yes, it really did. It, I love Billy oh, Zane's amazing. performance. I love the violence. And like seeing, it didn't really click with me until years later, I will admit that. But I'm like, why Why do I, and it's like, that was the first horror movie that I watched where a black woman not mm-hmm. only survived to the end of the movie, but mm-hmm. she saved the world. What? The seven, you're the only one left. You're the chosen one. That's what I came here to do. Give you this key. <laughs> That's all that's important. You're ready. Ready for what? Okay. Give me the key. Brigham, look, I can't do this, all right? I'm not the right type of person for this shit. I tried to seduce you, didn't I? I tried. You're exactly the right person. She becomes the vessel of saving the world in perpetuity yes. until her watch is over. She is the anointed one. She, she is. is the chosen like protector of God's power on earth. And honestly, it's because I'm just like, I love this. I love this. I love everything about this. It's the humor yeah. and the gore and like the, the acting, like all of the, the roles were like perfectly cast. Everybody, like CCH, CCH Pounder, CCH Pounder, William Sadler, giving, all great, up and down. Giving him, giving Billy Zane's collector the, a middle finger with her broken stump. her just like taking a shotgun one arm in in one hand with a half an arm on the other side of her being like let's go it is a phenomenal performance the the seduction of uncle willie with the naked women who were completely unnecessary by the way but (laughs) what he wanted was the booze and and billy zane as like the insane bartender shove this one down uncle willie long hard one Nothing gets you fucked up fast. Am I right, guys? Am I right? Probably now that I'm talking about it, like, Demonite might have been, like, the C for the bat shit insanity. Like, the camp that I bring I mean, the Billy movies. Zane punching a person through the skull Amazing. and then removing that skull from the bot, moving that head from the body and being is so an incredible about moment. It. Like, when he, he pulls it up and then he looks down and he's like, he's annoyed that it's still attached <laughs> to his fist. And he just starts shaking it off and then, like, you know, swings it around. It is, I'm going to steal that someday, just point blank. <laughs> It is a great, great moment. And then when he, like, you know, is forced to exit the hotel and he has that speech, it's like, fuck mm-hmm. this cowboy shit. <laughs> fuck this cowboy shit. You fucking hold up, hold up. Well, they in there, motherfuckers. All you have to do is give me the goddamn key. And we could get on with our lives. It is, it is great all around. But yeah, it took... Like someone else, like years later, is like, why do you love this so much? And then it was like, because it's a black uh-huh. woman saving the world. And I'm like, huh? Oh. Yeah. Oh. Oh my God, you're right. <laughs> you're like, Shit, that is why I love this so much. Yeah. And like, even with like, 
I mean, like with the craft, you had Rachel True, who was awesome. Mm-hmm. And I could identify like being the only black girl in a predominantly white environment and having to deal mm-hmm. with like, you know, it was the South. I grew up in southeastern Missouri, so it wasn't even microaggressions most of the time. It was just <laughs> right. aggression, aggression. Just aggression, yeah. Um, and, and Macro, I did, ever yeah. present. I did. Like she probably would have been the other one had it not been for Demon Knight. But like I, but she was also like a villain towards the end. Yeah, yeah. Like, she falls into that. She lives, which is good, but um, she doesn't save the world. And so, yeah, I uh, Demon Knight for me is infinitely watchable. Like, I could put it on right now. As, and I often do, like, put it on as background noise just to have something comforting on as I'm writing. Uh, and I watch it. I make Anytime a point. Anytime I turn Demon Knight on again, I'm happy to see it. And I'm like, God damn, this holds up really well. It does. Like that is that movie would be if that came out right now from some like scrappy up and comers who got their first feature into like Fantastic Fest. That would blow the hell up at a midnight screening. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's like, and that's what it's practical effects. Like for mm-hmm. the most part, like there's not too much technology in there that like takes mm-hmm. you out. And like it's set in you know like the middle of nowhere southwest so you understand probably yeah. why it's like okay this is why i'm not seeing cell phones necessarily or anything but yeah no it is it's like my favorite or like sci-fi movie aliens even with that mm-hmm. technology like aliens still holds up remarkably well as does john carpenter's mm-hmm. the thing so like i love mm-hmm. and that is like the aspect i love to bring to horror movies when i can and i really appreciated what gerard johnstone and the production did with like making megan as practical as they could, yeah. uh, so that it resonates. I mean, she's she's real. She's she's real. Megan's real. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't see Megan actually at the red carpet, but I did meet Jenna Davis, who did do the voice for Megan, yeah. who does a who imbues so much life and evolves the character so much over the course of the screen time. I hope that Jenna Davis was the voice you heard in your head when you were writing that. It came, it just came to life so phenomenally well. She she actually did bring like life to it. That part of that uncanniness because mm-hmm. in when I'm writing it. I did hear Megan a little bit more, like, mechanical. Mm, okay. Like, a little bit more stilted. Um, mm-hmm. And so, like, that's kind of how I wrote the dialogue. It's like, this is how a robot learning for the first time would mm-hmm. speak up until, you know, it's like the Terminator, like, Terminator 2 mostly where he's got to, like, yeah. learn. And so it's like, as the the movie went on, like, the dialogue became less stilted. Um, but yeah, no, like hearing that. And I remember I, I met up with Judson Scott and he showed me a photo. I think, I think it was like the last like Comic-Con or something like, no, it was like afterwards Uh anyways. And he was like, Hey, have you seen the design? I'm like, no, I haven't. And he showed me on the phone. I'm like, Oh my God, she looks like a psychotic sorority girl. Yes, absolutely correct. Yeah. Like that was my, I'm like, she looks like a psychotic sorority girl and this is perfect. (laughs) Amazing. I there was a a, a, a a I I drug us away from Geraldine, but I was as you were talking, I was thinking about how I the run of like and Jada Pinkett is Jada Pinkett Jada Pinkett Smith is a phenomenal screen presence, mm-hmm. and her run in the nineties of like up and coming Jada with like this is one of her first. I think Jason's lyric might have come before this one. Minister Society, one I think, features. was her first. Yes, Menace to Society, Jason's Lyric is in there. This movie, right after this, comes one of my favorite movies of all time in a low-down, dirty shame oh, yeah. with Keenan Ivory Wayans. <laughs> peaches! And then set it off. It's fucking peaches! 
I love meeting Jada Pinkett characters in the 90s when Mm -hmm. they enter the frame and you encounter her for the first time. She feels so total and there is such an energetic ferocity that comes off of Jada Pinkett and immediately I feel like you immediately believe that Geraldine is the hero that she's going to become Mm -hmm. by the end of this movie. You're like, fucking of course she will. Of course she's got that in her. All right, let's see. What do I need to tell you? What am I looking at? Which way is town? Town is that way, and you're looking at nothing. But I'm sure you didn't come here for a view now, did you? But here's your key. And the concierge will bring up your bags momentarily. Yes, and there was also, she had, like, I think one of her first, like, leading roles with Tommy Davidson. I'm looking it up now. She, Mm -hmm. it was the, not the crazy girlfriend, but I guess it's like the black version of the manic pixie dream girl (laughs) that she played. That was a lot of fun as well. Uh, Woo. Do you remember? Did you ever see? Woo. Woo. Yes. Yes. Uh, That was also a lot of fun. But yeah, but again, it's like growing up, like I had Anna Klumski, like, yeah, um, uh, Christina Ricci, Winona Ryder. Mm-hmm. So like when Jada Pinkett like is like, oh, black women and then Gabrielle Union. But that was also around the time where I was like, when it comes to black actresses, there can only mm-hmm. be one popular one at a time. Like there can only mm-hmm. be, because like Jada Pinkett gave way to Gabrielle Union, who I think gave way to Sanaa Lathan in the late 90s, right. early 2000s and so on and so forth. So it's just like, oh, okay. All right. Like, you know, again, like, young white girls had Anna Klumski, Christina Ricci, Winona Ryder, yeah. like Gwyneth Paltrow. We Paltro. had the whole slate of alt yeah. girls, of weird alt girls. Yeah, and, and it's like, okay, so, I like, Jada's not getting the lead roles anymore, but what she did get left an impression, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I appreciate that to, the, to this day, and I, uh, you know, Gabrielle Union in Bring It On was also, like, mm-hmm. kind of a revelation where it's like, they won, and it makes uh-huh. sense that they won. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Love it. Because uh, I, as much as I love the Rancho Carne Toros, <laughs> they are they are a, a copy of this thing yes. that they have been imitating so long, which is a phenomenal, was a wonderfully very mainstream, um, digestible thesis statement in a movie for the white masses and yes. what would be a flourishing community of white gays to be like, this is the appropriative tendency that always happens and is time tested. And yes, it is. We're going to localize it onto two Los Angeles based mm-hmm. cheerleading teams where the whites are copying from the black team. Like, it's like, yes, this is also, if you care to peel back the layers, a generationally true story. It, it was such a revelation because it was just like, they're doing this story <laughs> in a white movie. And then it's like, well, it's going to be like a white redemption of appropriate because this was this was like almost a full decade before appropriation became even a thing that people said out loud like it's never said in the movie as to what they're doing it's just you know blatant stealing but it's like okay so it's cool that they acknowledge that this happens but this is you know kirsten dunce is gonna make it right and they're gonna win (laughs) and then you get to the end of the movie and the 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 uh clovers win and it's like what (laughs) 
but yeah, it was like those those were two like pivotal like early movies, just like in seeing like black women representation in like a positive light. Um, that obviously yeah. stuck with me. But yes, Geraldine was was the first, and it was that subconscious thing. I think it's like I love this, but I I'm really responding to the fact that a black woman got to save the world in a horror movie. Yes. And I can't remember. I'm probably missing something. I know someone listening to this is going to be like, but Akela, and I'm like, I. I have a hard time trying to find another example. When we look back at, like, there is there is black horror as a genre unto itself as well. Yes. Where there are heroines within black horror, obviously, that are given a pride of placement in that way. But in a, in a not defined as black horror film that is attached to the, like, sort of cultural institution that is Tales from the Crypt and the fandom and the penetration that comes along with that... It was indeed exceptional. Yeah. And, and in a way, it still remains exceptional, especially with the the aesthetic and, again, the sort of power and presence and, I hate to use the word, but sort of unapologetically forward and confrontational figure that is a Jada Pinkett. Mm-hmm. I think it still stands as a, just out and out, a very specific final girl performance, let alone one that is distinguished by it being a black woman. Yes. And it was directed by a black man, Ernest Dickerson. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. who, it wasn't, as you said, it wasn't, like, a black horror movie specifically tailored for black audiences. This was a mm-hmm. wide horror release that a black man was hired to direct and a black woman was hired to lead and be the hero mm-hmm. of. Uh, if if it happened today, you'd have so many dude bros calling it woke. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, screaming yeah. about, like, it shouldn't make any money. And yet, like, at the time, it was unremarkable, which I also, like, looking back on it, it's like, it's a huge huge thing. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll hear more about Akela, including how and when she knew that Megan was going to be a big deal. Then we will have one quick thing before we go about the heartening scenes at the Golden Globes, the much embattled uh, controversial Golden Globes. But you know what's not controversial? That we're all rooting for Ki Hui Kwan. This podcast stands Ki Hui Kwan. He is an alum of the show, and we are rooting for him in the Oscar race all the way to the end. So that is what we will touch on at the very end before we leave you. Jay Keith, do you know what I love more than the trivia, comedy, and celebrity guests on our podcast? Go fact yourself. No, what, Helen? Sharing all of those things with an actual audience. Yes, well, lucky for you, Go Fact Yourself is back to being a live audience show. Woohoo! Yeah, we've got a free recording coming up on January 15th in Los Angeles and February 11th in Pasadena. And if you can't make it there, all of our recordings will still be available as a podcast. Twice a month, every month on MaximumFun.org. Yeah, no excuses. So if you're not listening, you can go fact yourself. Hey there, it's Annabelle Gerwich. And I'm Lara House. We host Tiny Victories, the 15-minute podcast that's about the little things. Getting into the tiny victory frame of mind is about recognizing minor accomplishments and fleeting joys. Isn't it a wonderful day when the first password you try actually works? When it's freezing cold outside and toasty as all get out in my shower, my tiny victory is that I turn off the water and get on with my day. We can't change this big dumb world, but we can celebrate the tiny wins. So join us on Maximum Fun or wherever you listen to podcasts. Let's get tiny! 
Welcome back to Feeling Scene. Today I'm talking with Akela Cooper, screenwriter of the new movie Megan and 2021's Malignant, talking about Geraldine from the formative 1995 horror comedy Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. Like, I don't know if you go back and watch movies from the 90s much or such, but I've talked about this a number of times on the pod where there is a, it's a fascinating maelstrom in the 90s of these, like the surging era of new queer cinema. There's also a black cinema movement that is happening in the 1990s where it it is also, it is a time where it feels like diverse casts feel like they did emerge more organically. Mm-hmm. And then we hit this wall of like post 9-11 cinema where everything had to homogenize and be white and homo nationalist. Yeah. But it was like we were stealing time for a minute in the 90s and it demonstrated like a, po- a future possibility of integration and actual more like egalitarianism as far as on screen and behind the camera representation goes. But then everyone was like, wait a minute, this got too out of hand. <laughs> there was too much permission for things. We better scale that back. It's- and then in about the mid 2010s, we finally started like at fighting from an advocacy position to yes. bring back what was kind of already teasing into the ecosystem. I need to like look at the history of this, but I do think part of it is like films became more international, like mm-hmm. in the early aughts. And that's so a good point. that's right. And this was like, I was hearing rumblings of it, but like it was bigger when I got to LA and like started my career. But like that was when they discovered that like if they had a certain movie, it would do well in China. Yeah. Yes, and there's a absolutely. lot of people in China, but then it was like China doesn't apparently like black or gay people. Right. Yeah. So yeah. we no, can't I, have I, absolutely those headlines of like, well, you like the black leads don't sell in China. Exactly. Well, you can't have gay leads in China. Yeah. And and that's also post 9-11. It was like mm-hmm. the surge in nationalism and also studios. It's like, I'm not saying I don't even know if this is a connection, but like, are people going, what are people going to see in theaters? It's like, hey, mm-hmm. we just had a huge movie succeed in China. That was mm-hmm. white leading and blah, 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 blah. Let's. Right. We can sell it to China if nothing else. And I remember being on like message boards, like early Ain't It Cool News, like debating this with people. And that was one of the people yeah. who was like, but no, America will always like, you know, American money, like that's always what they're going to tailor to first, right? And they're like, no, not when you have a billion people that they can sell to. Right. They're eventually going to have to tailor to that. And that I was wrong. Like that's kind of what happened. And it and mm-hmm. it also helped like the superhero film surge that we're seeing yeah. now. Cause a lot of that like action doesn't need to translate. Like you don't have to have yes. spe- you don't have like new a lot of like nuance and cultural stuff might not translate, mm-hmm. you know, in France or in China or Israel or yeah, like, India. Humor like, is very can be very yes. culturally specific. Sarcasm is specific to translate. Perhaps like quiet domestic drama. There are specificities and also maybe like a level of buy-in across like engaging in a different culture and a different language that can be like mm-hmm. I'm not. That's not going to be my first choice. But every under everybody understands the language of people getting their asses beat. And yes, they do. Up. It's like you understand Captain America punching an alien monster in the face. Or I should say yes, Hulk absolutely. punching an alien You understand monster. Kaiju's fighting robots. You do. And and that's what, you know, that's that is where we are. Uh though yeah. it's like it's 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 kind of wonderful that it's now become like a two-way street that we have things like Squid Game that American mm-hmm. audiences are watching. Uh and absolutely. RRR, which people lost their <laughs> shit for last summer. Because yeah. like growing up, I had my mother loved foreign films. 
So mm-hmm. we would make a point to go to like, it's usually Hollywood video because Blockbuster would never carry unrated or NC-17 We movies. were a Hollywood video household. I yes. am completely with you. I remember once I found out that like Blockbuster wouldn't even carry unrated movies. I'm like, we're going to Hollywood video. And we stopped going to Blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> and we went to Hollywood video and like, it was right around the time both of them started doing like, you could rent it for a week. Because again, yeah. I grew up in a very rural area. We had a local video store that would carry like, you know, like the big things he knew he could rent. And so during summers, we would go to uh, a small city called Cape Girardeau, which is like an hour north of where we lived. And they had a Hollywood video and we would rent movies for the week and like just Mm -hmm. stack them up and then like you spend Mm -hmm. evenings watching films. And Hollywood video had, to its credit, a really good Mm -hmm. foreign film section. Mm-hmm. And so my mom would make her list and we would rent foreign films. And I saw like Raise the Red Lantern and like stuff from Spain, stuff from Mexico, a lot of stuff from China sure, sure, and Japan. Sure. Um, and I, I, I got a taste of like other cultures, but that was not happening in the rest mm-hmm. of rural America. And exactly. so now that like Netflix can like actually have, again, Squid Game be so mm-hmm. huge and you have Parasite that it's like... Mm-hmm. It's not dubbed. It's you have to read the subtitles and people are watching and responding to it. I think that's a good thing. And I think like we just all need to be allowed to make the movies and that trust that even in a worldwide audience, the audience is going to find it. Because mm-hmm. I I don't necessarily uh, relate to everything in Parasite, but we all understand class struggle. Like we all understand right, yeah. that. We all understand frustration and being treated like shit by you know people who think they're better um mm-hmm. and so yeah i'm sure there's like nuance and stuff that i've missed in parasite because i am not of that culture of but it's still a damn good movie yeah and like those parts of that don't have to be for me because mm-hmm. there's plenty that's for everyone and i'm happy to take from the parts that i can really be provoked by and really enjoy and they be like guess what De- guess what doesn't have to apply to me everything and I'm happy I don't feel alienated by not being included into every conversation and that's fine yeah sometimes it's just like okay I just learned something all right cool does she talk make her say something stop don't you should probably run this is such a challenging industry to assess wins Because there are so many incremental wins along the process of getting something made that still do not guarantee something will be made. And I want to hear from you, somebody who has been on the grind in writer's rooms and TV and now in screenwriting features as well. How do you assess and sort of like embrace those wins and get make sure you celebrate those things for yourself while also always having to do the like, hey, well, nothing's real till it's real. You yeah. know, we got a long way to go. Like, how do you handle that kind of emotional balance in your own life? I'm so curious about that with people in this industry all the time. It is. I, I it's a cliche, but it's like a step at a time or kind of it's yeah. like, I wouldn't say even a marathon. I'd say probably like a half marathon. Um, uh-huh. It's like you just got to get the mile. You just got to get that mile and you mm-hmm. celebrate every mile. So the fact that you I got to celebrate every mile, you really do. Yeah. You can't deprive yourself of those celebrations because things are so protracted in this business. Yeah. So it was I got invited to an early uh, screening mm-hmm. uh, that Blumhouse had. And it was a rough cut. And like I've been to early rough cuts before and they're usually rough. Like it yeah. is what the name implies. And I took my friend Andy 
halfway through, I just, I, I had this feeling and I'm like, I can't be feeling this. I can't, it's a, it's a rough cut. I can't be. And I turned to my friend and I'm like, is it just me or is this really good? And he was so exciting. And he looked, he's like, it's really good. It's really good. And I'm like, I feel like I'm going crazy. <laughs> and I don't want to jinx anything. It's like you said, you've seen rough cuts before. Yeah. And, you and, know and that, that this thing. is like, like. The entire time my brain is like, this is, this is flowing. The characters are clicking. Like, obviously some uh-huh. of the effects weren't finished, but I'm like, Megan works. She looks creepy yeah. as hell. The voice and the movement. I'm like, this is, I can't, I can't. something is wrong with me. Like it's because yeah. I wrote it. It's because I must I'm be so really invested. attached to this. Exactly. I'm, I'm really like, responding. I and I had to acknowledge. I'm like, I can't be objective, can I? And that's when I turned to my friend, who I'm also like, okay, he's telling me I'm not crazy, but he's also not yeah. objective in this moment. He's my yeah. friend. It was like a friends and family kind of screening, and so there were mm-hmm. people there who weren't in the business who were reacting and enjoying the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> I'm just gonna be uh, completely honest. There were black people at this screening. Uh, who, (laughs) you know, were were friends but didn't work in the business and they were having reactions that were genuine. And that's when I was like, yes. (laughs) All right. My sounding board has affirmed that I am not just in too deep on this and I can relax into enjoying my work right now. I remember, like, uh, no spoilers, but there's like, it was like one of the early, like, Megan reactions where, like, Uh she's first defiant that like a middle-aged black woman, and I say this as if I'm not middle-aged my damn self, uh, in the front just went, ooh. And I was like, yes. Yes. This is. You're like, this is my design. This right here. She's she's doing what she's supposed to do. And it's like, oh, yeah. And we went to another screening and like the, uh, like the, executives assistants were like trying to like fight their way to get in to this oh. <laughs> screening it's just like because everyone had heard and like at a certain point like i started hearing rumblings it's like universal is really really happy with this and i'm like okay mm-hmm. great and, and it's like what does that mean it's like it means they're going to put money behind the production like or yeah. not production but the promotion like they're going promotion yeah getting it out there they're going to promote it i'm like yeah awesome again <laughs> not realizing what that meant <laughs> Um, yeah yeah that, like they were going to do what they did and then the trailer dropped and that was a day of just because i had the heads up it's like hey it's gonna drop at like 9 10 a.m yeah. tuesday morning i'm like oh trailer mm-hmm. drop on a tuesday morning okay cool <laughs> and i was i was about to do my workout and i watched it and it's like oh that's a really good trailer and then i turned it off yeah. like did my run and then i started getting texts like, just as I'm listening to my music, like, my phone is going off and, like, Siri is, like, reading me these texts. And I had to, like, stop and just, like, get on my laptop. I'm like, what is going on? And it was, like, people were responding to the trailer and it had yeah. already become a meme, I think, mm-hmm. like, an hour after it dropped. Oh, instantly. I, I I saw the Alien Superstar edit of the dance within 45 minutes, yeah, for sure. Just, and I did not, I was supposed to, I can't even remember what I was working on, but I was supposed to be working on something. I was like, I can't work. I'm just like refreshing Twitter to see what's going on and checking like people were doing, mm-hmm. they had done the dance on TikTok. I'm like, how did you learn that so fast? <laughs> I mean, I I wrote a I wrote a profile of Allison Williams attached to the movie for Wired, and that started because I just sent the trailer to a, a friend of mine who's an editor, and I just said this is a Wired story, and uh, within the week it was 
confirmed it was a wired story like it was just so apparent from the trailer yeah it was it was a great trailer and yet the reaction was just like okay there's something here and initially i think they were iffy about whether or not there was going to be a premiere for the Mm -hmm. movie like officially i think it was like it might have been like again like an industry screening for people yeah um but before that like caa had a private screening and again it was something where everyone was trying to get in (laughs) and we went and it was standing room only wow like people were sitting on the stairs and that's when it's like again seeing those reactions but again in my mind i'm like these are people in the industry caa these are industry people i'm now represented by caa so are they being nice or is this is this real and it wasn't until they were like universal is now gonna have a premiere it's like oh oh okay great wow and then got to the premiere, and I had just missed the Megan dolls on the red carpet, and people were filling me in. Yep. But then they came out <laughs> before the screening and did the dance, <laughs> and, like, everyone was losing their shit. And there were a bunch of, like, TikTok influencers who were invited there, and my friend was sitting next to a couple uh-huh. of them. And the moment I knew we had something was afterwards when uh, my friend came up to me and was like, so the influencers that I was sitting next to, uh, they were basically doing their like hip influencer thing where there's like, we've sure. got the pictures. We're, we're going to leave halfway through the movie is what they said they were going to do. Oh, they stayed through the whole thing. And that's when I was like, okay, we, we really do have something. It's like, I can, I can, you know, like reconcile those halves of myself. That's like, okay, yeah. we can be optimistic, but we need to uh. be practical and like all of this stuff and it's like oh no 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 i think this is this is actually resonating with audiences not just because you know i am clearly biased about the product and then like you and sam were there at the after party it was just like it was Mm -hmm. so crazy it's just like how everyone was like so excited and talking about it uh yeah and everyone like it's it's an industry thing so at that point everyone was seeing dollar signs (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, okay, now everyone's slow your roll. Like, seeing their back get scratched a yes, little bit. It's like, let's just slow our roll now. Uh, because yeah. it's like, we do come out three weeks after freaking Avatar, you guys. I, I, yeah, I, I mean, to me, it, this is my avatar. This, this is my avatar. This is my, the way of the robot is my the way of water. So, um, now because I have talked to you about uh, a bit off record about iconic villains and you, you've obviously nailed that a couple times now do you think at all in terms of iconic heroes or wanting to create something like that or because the, the the villains are truly yeah. the meat I, of megan and malignant of course but what annabelle wallace accomplishes in spite of being having such an overshadowing figure as gabriel in malignant what annabelle wallace manages to conjure as a beautiful white woman in the face <laughs> of that it's an excellent performance and she looked like she had so much fun doing it and i am such a fan of allison williams and i think the tete-a-tete that this movie builds to in megan between her and the robot is fantastic and intimate stuff like it is a heartfelt and intimate kind of confrontation that this movie builds up to that i was so bowled over by its poignancy for me i wanted to hear about how you approach your heroes when the villains get so much shine 
And speaking in, you know, in the context of a Geraldine and, and being formed by such heroes. They need to be believable. And it's like, the thing with Geraldine is like, in, in Demon Knight, she's on work release, like she's been in jail. And it's, it's the wonderful mm. thing about that is like, she's still treated as a human being. Like there's mm-hmm. that great moment with, between her and Breaker where he asked, what was she in for? And she's like, stealing, okay? And he's like, I wasn't mm-hmm. passing judgment. He was just like, and, and it's the performance from William Sadler. It's like, I was literally just mm-hmm. being curious i don't care because you know that man's been through some shit <laughs> yeah, yeah for lifetimes yes and and he doesn't care and and there's that trust between the two of them but it's also it's like she is immediately you know she's like this take no shit i am just biding my time till i get out of here and find something better mm-hmm. character and and teenagers teenagers can always relate to it's like i'm just biding my time <laughs> till i get the fuck up out of here and go do something uh, especially, you know, us rural teenagers uh, who are, you know, like, kind of like outcasts in our own right in our small, mm-hmm. small conservative towns. So with horror, the villains are always, you know, the first sure. on the call sheet, so to speak. They are <laughs> the attraction. They are the shine. But with heroes, I, I try to just make them as human and as relatable as possible because you have to care about your heroes because if you don't Mm -hmm. then you know what the fuck are you just sitting it's it does get kind of boring when you're just watching a character murder protagonist after protagonist or character Uh after character and you don't give a shit like i'm not gonna say what it is but there was a horror movie that i was watching where it was clear the if anything the director if not the writer favored the villain and so all Mm -hmm. of the protag like the the main characters were just essentially cannon fodder and at a certain Mm -hmm. point it's like okay so we're just here for the kills yeah is that is because i don't give a shit about any of these people and i wasn't emotionally invested and i was like Mm -hmm. okay it's a it's a cool design of a monster and and yeah there's that and i don't feel the need to ever see this again and so I don't I, I want people to connect with my characters. I want them in the theater cheering at certain mm-hmm. moments. Uh, there's like I think, you know, the moment at the end of, of Megan that I'm really proud of because uh, it stayed <laughs> like a lot of things change of between course. like your last draft and production. And so like the fact that the the that action piece was still there was like really heartening. Uh-huh. And, and I was proud of that. And so but it's also it's like the audience was at least in the screens that we saw, they were cheering because it's cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and <laughs> because it's cool and it's a great moment. And so, you know, it also comes down to that vague ending in Megan where it's like, it's really between like Jim and Katie mm-hmm. and you worry for Gemma who's worried mm-hmm. for Katie mm-hmm. and you're invested <laughs> and it's like, and the performances are like, is she really gonna do that? And so that's, you can't have that if you don't have emotional investment in your characters. Um, and so that's usually, it's like, I understand. And again, I'm a horror fan. I've dreamed yeah. of creating like a Freddy and a Jason and a Michael Myers and, or a pumpkin head. Like I'm still, I'm yeah. still aiming for my pumpkin head. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's really just like making making the humans as relatable and emotionally investable as possible for the audience because they're mm-hmm. never going to outshine the villain. Right? They're never going to yes, do it. Exactly. Do you find that? I mean, it, 
because they're mostly human in their forms in in Demon Knight, Billy Zane, like just laying it on so. Thick. I mean, there was no scene left unchewed. I think he managed <laughs> to fall into another movie and chew that fucking scenery, <laughs> and he still wasn't satisfied. I know what you're thinking. He's got the key. What else could he possibly want now? Hmm? I want you. You know, no one's ever brought a demon knight over to the other side before. Well, not in one piece anyway. And it's it's great. It is great, yeah. but it's also it's kind of like it's that is the beautiful thing like with an actor who reads the writing and understands the assignment. Billy Zane understood the assignment. Jada yes, Pinkett, now absolutely. Jada Pinkett Smith, understood the assignment. And I, Ernest Dickerson, everyone they understood the assignment. They knew what they were making. Mm-hmm. And that is, and I will always, 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 because I grew up on like B-horror and B-sci-fi movies of the yeah. 80s and the 90s. And it's great when you get one that knows what the fuck it is. It knows yeah. why you paid your money to see it. And it gives it to you. It doesn't <laughs> try to be anything else but what it is. I think that's exactly what I get out of your movies is you know what we paid to see and you give it. To you us. paid to see a doll fucking people up. <laughs> yeah. Malignant yes. was kind of a surprise. Like Malignant, we had to hide the ball. But ultimately, and that was basically, <laughs> I just gave James Wan and, and Ingrid what they wanted to see. Ingrid Bisu, uh, what they wanted to see, which was, that shit yeah. insanity didn't come out to the third act. <laughs> but and then it turns into wanted. one of the best action movies made in the United States that year. It's like, all right, James, this is what you ordered. Orders <laughs> up, man. Have fun. Have fun. I can't. I can't go past. I can't top that. I can't go past <laughs> orders up. And everybody got their. Every got their. Everybody got their fucking steak cooked exactly how they wanted it. Uh, Kayla, thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. Megan is Megan is out now. Megan is getting rave reviews. Uh, go out there and help Megan proportionally earn more money than Avatar. That is your <laughs> duty and charge to the listeners. Is 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 there anything uh, we should leave uh, with parting thoughts, uh, Kayla, where people can find things of yours or or etc. Uh, I'm on Instagram and Hive. I also post occasionally on Tumblr. Thank you again so much for being here. I so appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun, Jordan. Thank you again to Akela Cooper. Megan is in theaters now, and it's going to be in theaters for a minute because it's positively cleaning up at the box office and getting wonderful reviews. And you can see Akela's next project later on this year, actually. It is The Nun 2, and that is set to release September 8th. And now, one quick thing before I go, and that is just to, as Kyle Buchanan tweeted during the Golden Globes uh, in this recent telecast, Key Hui Quanassance. The man is picking up awards along the circuit. The march toward Oscars continues. He was nominated this week for a Screen Actors Guild Award. It just, it never loses its punch watching Ki Hui Kwan just express so much gratitude, yes, but like also determination and satisfaction and joy and vindication 
that he has been able to return to in front of the camera work in Hollywood. He is so grateful. He is so thankful. He is so generous with his gratitude. But he's not just lucky to be here. He, the best thing about Ki Hui Kwan winning these awards, besides the story of it, the narrative of his great return to screen after decades um, of forced absence, because there wasn't work for him. there he, he figured it was over, that there wasn't work for actors like him, Chinese actors, Asian actors, the opportunities dried up. It is amazing that Ki Hui Kwan is winning these awards because he gave the best damn performance in his category of all the movies released in 2022. He's winning these awards because he deserves them and that it makes the narrative of return and the phoenix rising even more joyful because it's such a happy story. But we stand Ki Hui Kwan for being an excellent actor in the perfect part at the perfect time for him and wonderful too, of course, to see Michelle Yeoh grace any stage to get any award that she has long deserved in her career. And it is it is equal parts joyous and maddening any time we have been able to watch her give a speech uh, during this during this awards campaign long and marathon to the end because she she so often points out that, you know, she was told when she started her career that she's a minority, that, you know, she wasn't necessarily meant to be a star. That was absolute complete total bullshit. She was a star in Hong Kong already before she started making films in America. And it is obscene that racism and idiocy ever stood between superstar, talent, titan, Michelle Yeoh, and anything but the realization of her full potential in her own mind. And to to hear her speak over and over again about what a singular, what a unique opportunity Evelyn in everything, everywhere, all at once was for her. And to finally get that at, as I think she is 60 now, at 60 or 61, let this be, Michelle Yeoh never, ever, ever went away. She has never gone away in decades, but let this in its own right be a Yoasance in its own right. And let's let, let us see, let us strive for making Ki Hui Kwan and Michelle Yeoh the leading the leading heroes, the heroes of their own stories, uh, that they have always, they always should have been. And now I hope uh, that there are the opportunities for us to see that properly more of. Uh, best actor, eventually, let's see it for Ki Hui Kwan after he nabs ones for best supporting. And let's see Michelle Yeoh get that best actress Oscar um, when, the, when the year goes on. Let's, let's see her get that SAG, get that Oscar, trophies for them both. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Best movie of 2022. Best movie, most movie. Check, check. And that is our show. That's what we're going to leave you with. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at FeelingSceneAtMaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jorkru on Twitter. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.